You're listening to Right Where You Are, hosted by New York Times bestselling author, creator, and speaker, Jason Wright. With inspiring guest interviews and Jason's unique lens on life, this is the place to see the good in the world, to lift and be lifted, no matter your starting point, to make a difference that matters. And we'll do it all together, right where you are. Hi there, friends. It's Jason Wright, and welcome back to Right Where You Are. I'm glad you're here. As always, I begin with just a quick favor, if you wouldn't mind taking just a second to rate and review the show wherever you listen to our favorites, especially on Apple Podcasts. It's just so helpful. It is how our little show grows and continues to find uh, new listeners every week. So if you would take a moment, I would be thankful. All right, our guest today is an old friend, uh, not old, but a friend, someone I met about a decade ago doing events around the country, and we shared the stage a couple of times, and I was just so impressed with her her talent and her faith, the way that she could connect with an audience, whether holding a mic uh, or telling a story. She was a contestant on American Idol at just 17 years old back in the Reuben and Clay days. Some of my listeners might remember uh, that really special season, special in part because our contestant stood out for reasons that she'll talk about a little bit here in a minute. But she's not just uh, all about American Idol. She is a wife and a mother, an author, a speaker, an entertainer. Uh, She travels around the country and speaks to Christian audiences, and she is just a ray of light in a world that needs more like her. She is, of course, Carmen Rasmussen Herbert, or Carmen Herbert, if you will, and I am so thankful to have her here on the podcast. Carmen, how are you? Good. How are you, Jason? I am so well. Thank you for uh, joining me today on the podcast. Um, You bet. I love, I say this often um, when I'm talking to other guests, but the gift of Zoom allows me to see you as you really are. As I really am. (laughs) I I wish our whole audience could see you as you really are at whatever o'clock it is out there in your home with your unmade bed. That's it. I'm saying. Unmade bed, unmade face, unmade hair. You'll probably, we might get a break in or two from my unkept children running around (laughs) outside the hall that I'm like threatening with their lives. I hope we do get some of that. And I think listeners of the podcast would appreciate if we got a little bit of that. And by the way, I haven't done my hair either. So as you can see, it's Uh, (laughs) it's more gray probably than last time I saw you. Less noticeable for a boy's hair that's, you know, an inch long. Well, that's great. And you're wearing headphones. So I I am. I am wearing headphones. Fancy ones. Uh, Fancy ones. You know what's fancy? What's fancy is how long we've known each other and how... Much I have grown to admire your your talent, your songwriting, just just the sheer beauty of your your singing voice is just so unique. And you know, my family, as I said in the intro, we've been following you slash stalking you since you were <laughs> just a wee little one on American Idol Aww. all those years ago. But That's you have so kind of you. such a friendly, this radio friendly kind of a voice that that I know people. Um, have known and loved. And of course, we'll include links to all of your your projects in the show notes. But what I really want to know, because I heard a little bit of this story already, I want to know about the first time that you um, stood in front of a room, in front of a little crowd or a big crowd. Yeah. Um, and how old you were. And what was that, what was that moment like when you said, you know what, I'm I might actually have something here. Tell us about that. 
Okay. Well, first of all, thank you. That's so kind of you to say. Um, lots of great compliments. Um, so I have always loved singing. Singing has been an entertaining, just being the center of attention, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a child like that now. And I'm like, oh, this will be fun. You are <laughs> just like me. And that loves attention. And And I was never one... On my terms, I guess, on my terms. Like if my mom would ever be like, sing us a song. Oh, I could not do that. I hated it. I hated it when she'd asked me to do that. But on my terms, if I was ready to bestow my gift upon others, then I loved it. I loved people watching me. It didn't scare me. Like I thrived off of that attention. Um, just in, in everything I did, I liked I liked people to notice me. So when I was in primary around eight years old, our primary chorister was amazing. Stacy Hansen. And she, shout out to Stacy. Shout out to Stacy. She, um, in order for us to learn our primary program songs, she did this awesome activity where you could sing a solo in front of the primary and everyone had to listen. If you thought that you had the song really, truly memorized, you could raise your hand and stand up to sing a solo and, and you sang it and everyone was listening. And if there was one word off of that, instead of an, and, or a him, instead of a, he, you raise your hand and you have to correct the word, what the right, and then you got a chance to stand up and sing the solo. So everyone was listening for the exact right words of the songs. And if you made it was one of the few people that made it through the whole song without getting one word wrong, then you got a ding dong. And that was like the ultimate eight-year-old treat in primary is to eat a ding dong in class. And so I remember we were learning, he sent his son, um, you know, that he sent one of my Mm -hmm. very, very favorite. Sing us a few bars. Why don't you? How could the father tell the world? Of love and tenderness, he sent his son, a newborn babe, with peace and holiness. So, and that's a tricky song because it's how yeah, could the father? That's ridiculous. Sh- that's nuts <laughs> that you sound like that over Zoom. No warm up. That's that's lovely. It probably sounded crazy, but it's how could the father tell? And then it's how could the father show the world? What does the father ask of us? So those phrases were really tricky. So I remember I got up and I was so nervous. It was like my first real solo that I had like sung in front of people. I'd sing in my room in front of my stuffed animals millions of times. And in front How of my How old did you say you were? I was around eight. Around eight. Eight okay. years old. Because it, okay. was, it was senior primary, but I was younger in the senior primary. So I was eight, maybe nine years old. And I, and, and I stood up and um, the piano player started and I started singing. How could the father? And as soon as I started, the room went completely silent. And at first I was kind of nervous, like, oh, everyone's really quiet and they're all looking at me. And then I was just like, everyone's, everyone's looking, looking at, at me. me. <laughs> <laughs> and I loved it. And so I, I sing I, and, and the, I was nervous and my voice was shaky, which it, it would continue to be that way until after American Idol, um, be really shaky. I had a really beautiful vibrato. And then after American Idol, I was made fun of it and it's, it's switched something in my brain. And now I don't, I don't have that anymore. It's so crazy. It like my body physically turned it off. Like this is damaging to you. This will hurt you. People make fun of it. And it stopped. Isn't that crazy? The psyche, we can get into that later. So anyway, so I, I have this vibrato and I'm singing and 
people were listening to me and I got to the part where it says, what does the father ask of us? What do the scriptures say? And I forgot the words. So I'm like, what does the, and I stopped. And, and instead of someone immediately raising, and you want to be the first person to raise your hand because then you get to be the one to go up. Nobody moved. Everyone just still sat there in rapt attention watching me. And, um, and then finally our, the chorister was like, does anyone know what the next? And then they're like, oh, and then people started raising their hands. And so she said, Carmen, that performance deserves a ding dong. And she gave me one anyway, even though I got the words wrong. And that was like my first experience of, I liked that. I liked people watching me and I liked them paying attention to what I was doing. It was such a self-confident, like, People wanted to hear me. They were interested in me. They thought I was doing something great. They were, I got compliments afterwards and I'm like, okay, maybe instead of just my mom and dad telling me, you have a beautiful voice. Maybe that's actually true. Maybe some people actually feel that way that are not in my family. And that was kind of my first little inkling of, I think I might want to do that more. Hmm. Well, that is so cool. We um, we've spoken before about the power of of teachers and 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 parents and coaches and mentors in our lives from the various very earliest ages um, to just say they believe in you, even if there's really nothing there yet. If if you as a child believe them and trust yes. them, and yes. they're in some cases, these I mean in my case, a third grade teacher, she walked on water. I loved her. She, yes. she had said I could be a heart surgeon. I would have been a heart surgeon. Um, that's just so cool. I, I, I can just picture you in that moment. What, what would a kid not do for a ding dong, which yeah. for anyone listening is basically <laughs> a chocolate Twinkie, right? It's in the Twinkie family, a chocolate cupcake with manufactured fake whipped cream inside. It looks like a hockey puck. It looks like a hockey puck. What would you do for a ding dong? It's actually Klondike bar. Yeah. You'd sing in primary. I love it. What would you do for a ding dong? We would sing solos for ding dongs. We would. I I absolutely love that story. And I I hope, I don't know where she is. Is Is she still with us? Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, she, I grew up in Bountiful and she, I don't know if they're still in their house or if they've moved anywhere or where they are, but her, she had a way of teaching the songs and making them interesting, making the stories come to life. It, it wasn't just learn it and repetition and you're bored. She had the most amazing games and you'd wear hats and you would sing solos and you, she'd have treats and you'd do the hot and cold beanbag game. And every mm. time it was fun going to singing time. It was fun. And and she really, before I was old enough to take singing lessons, cultivated that love of music and especially um, a love of music for um church music and, and mm-hmm. of the savior and of sacred music. And so great that 20 plus years later, you're still talking about her and, yeah. and boy, what an impact we can have on young people when we're willing and to. And she probably does not even remember that right. she probably has no idea. And, and, and yet for me, that was a pivotal experience, which honestly, Jason terrifies me thinking about my children, like, this one time when my mom threw the glass across the counter, and like, <laughs> I know that's what they're thinking. Like, and then 
like that changed their life. I'm like, oh my gosh, when people are like, your children are always watching. I'm like, please don't say that. That terrifies me that they're yeah. scrutinizing my every move and every thought, but they do it. That the things that you do impact others. Yeah. Children and adults. Children and adults. Well, you impacted millions of people um, on American Idol back. Oh, you were how old? 17. I was back in 2003. Yep. That's it. been a couple of years. Been a few. Tell Eight. us um, the story is super well documented, and I can put you know, links to this. And I, um, and I've, I've written about it before and I've interviewed, you know, some other folks that have been on, um, reality TV shows before. What I want to, what I want to hear from you is what no one has ever heard about that experience. What, what moment, what observation, what lesson, what backstage, um, quick exchange with a producer or another contestant on the show. What have you never shared with anybody that might enlighten us to what is truly an experience that I can only imagine unless you live it, you don't get. You just don't get unless you've been under that kind of pressure cooker of a competitive television show. Oh my goodness. That is a really good question. Um, well, one of the first one that comes to mind, um, so Clay Aiken is is and was a really good friend of mine on the show. Um, and he's very, very blunt. Like he will tell you exactly how it is. Um, and even if it hurts your feelings, but you know, you're always, he's always being completely honest with you and straightforward with you. And even though I was 17 and he was, I think 20, hang on super fast, Jason. Okay. Mm -hmm. There I'm going to, um, mute my phone. Even though he was like 23 and I was 17, he made it a goal to, um, he's like, we are going to be your protectors on the show, Ruben and I, and, and, and all the boys on the show, which you think about sending a 17 year old girl from Bountiful, Utah to live in Los Angeles, live in a home with, you know, six boys and six girls, um, whose values and standards were very different than the ones I was taught growing up could be a recipe for disaster. And I promise you there were things that did go on that would just make every parent cry themselves to sleep. But for me, for some reason, I explained to everyone what my values were. And I think because I was so young, they said, we have, they all talked and they said, we've all made it um, a goal and a priority not to corrupt you when you're on the show. Oh. And that's the exact word they use. Like, we don't want to corrupt Carmen. So we are going to protect you and whatever way we can. So if we're swearing, we'll try to warn you before we swear. Like, well, so we'll yell earmuffs. And then whoever was closest to me would actually cover my ears. So I couldn't <laughs> hear what they were saying. They would um, not drink in front of me. Um, or, and, and they learned quickly to stop offering me drinks of alcohol. So all these little things that they, they were very, very protective of my image of me as a person, um, but when I was, when I got called back, cause I was cut, I did not make American Idol the first time I tried out, I was cut in the top 72 and then was called back three months later after the show had already started, it already been airing. And, um, they called me back and said, we want you to try out for the wild card show. And I ended up making that and Clay Aiken had also been cut and he was called back for the wild card show. So when my name was called, Clay came up to me and he said, I will be honest. He said, I was floored. I did not think that you would be one of the people that they chose 
because I didn't sound very good in my auditions and I got really bad reviews from the judges on that night in particular. And he said, but I could not be happier. So Mm. now I will be a protector for you and Mm. I'm going to make sure that you are safe. And so so the magazine started writing all sorts of articles about us and, and coming up with all sorts of crazy things about us. And it was hard because we lived in such a bubble that we weren't allowed to go anywhere or do anything until after the show. And it was weird that even... I, I left in February and then I came home in May and even the the season had changed. Like my mindset, I, I left to snow and now I came back to flowers and greenery and everyone has graduated, all my friends. And it was so strange. So we lived in this little bubble and we'd read things about ourselves and we're like, I'm in People Magazine and people are saying that I'm doing all these things and it's not true and what? And who's telling them these things? So one of the magazines was... was um, they were, they were making up things about us. And Clay's like, I'm so sick of this. So he's like, instead of them making up a story, let's just give them one. Let's pretend. So him and I started holding hands everywhere we went. And it was in a way for him to be like, I'm going to stick with you and protect you and make sure you're safe. Um, and in another way, it was just giving them a story. Like, mm. so people would, Ooh, is there something between Clay and Carmen? There wasn't ever at all. Um, but it was his way of, I'm protecting her. And um, what's amazing about that is that I always felt completely safe with these people. And and the pressures that were placed upon us as young, young kids of looking perfect, singing perfect, being perfect is immense. And um, I can't even describe to you the feeling of going on stage, like just feeling like there's a wall of water pressing up against me. Like I have to do this perfect or... And if I don't, I'm immediately going to be told by these judges mm-hmm. how I sounded and how I did. And then people can go on chat rooms back in the olden days when there were chat rooms, chat rooms, comment about what they thought. And then you read about it and it was horrible. But um, this one time we were on tour and backstage and um, I didn't really realize that people kind of looked at us girls I don't know, as like, um, you know, I, I don't know how to say it. Like we were objects. They 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 objectified us and and rated us on who who do we think is prettier and all this kind of stuff. So I was I was backstage at on tour and I was walking down the hallway to get my makeup done and there was a security guard there and he's like, I'm such a big fan of the show. I love watching American Idol. Tell me your name again. And, oh, that's so cool. And I can't believe you guys are here. And then and he was an older gentleman and he had a white beard and long white hair. And he kind of looked like Santa Claus. And just as I was thinking that, he pulled a wallet out from his back pocket and he said, um, hey, he showed a picture of himself as Santa Claus in December. And he said, I... Um, I'm Santa Claus and, and at Christmas time. And I'm like, oh, ha, ha, wow, that's cool. And then ever so subtly, Jason, this this is taking a turn. Um, I hope this is okay to talk about. But ever so, subtly, ever so subtly, he pulled me on his lap. And he's like, have you been naughty or nice? Oh. And it was this little like, this is kind of weird. And it was it, it was so, it was done in such a way that it wasn't this overt, he's harassing me but he was, but, it, uh-huh. but it was subtle enough that it made me, it just kind of made me feel uncomfortable. And I, so I kind of laughed it off 
And I walked back to the dressing room. I said something like, oh, none of your business or something stupid. And I walked back and I looked kind of dazed. And Clay saw me and he said, what happened? And I said, oh, nothing. And he's like, you look different. What happened? And I said, I just walked past the security guard and he told me he was Santa and then pulled me on his lap and acted, asked if I was naughty or nice. And Clay Haken stormed down that hall, went right up to that security guard. You could hear him, I mean, in the whole arena, let him have it. And he oh. said, none of us are going on stage tonight if that man is not fired. We are not performing. He harassed her. She's 17 years old. What are you thinking? How could you do that? And for me, I was like, no, 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 no. It's okay. Like, it's not a big deal. In my mind, I'm thinking, I don't want to get anyone in trouble. And he was like that first, he said, I made a commitment to, to protect you when you first got on the show to be to be there since your mom and dad couldn't be and, you're, and, and your friends aren't here. I am your protector. And he said, I'm going to protect you. And they fired him that moment. And this wow. man had been working in the state in this arena for like 20 years. Wow. And they fired him. And I didn't realize until years later how much these people uh, how much that meant and and how a situation where it could have been I, that I was with weird people and 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 that they were the ones doing weird things to me, not at all. Like like people don't realize how the bond that, that we all had as contestants. So that's the first story that came to mind, just how Clay and Ruben too, they went after and they were like, we are keeping you safe. We promised that we mm. would, we'd protect your virtue. We'd protect your character and who you are. And I've never forgotten that. And so that, mm. I don't know why that's the first story is just Clay, how, how good of a friend he was and, and, and how far he would go to, to keep me safe and, and keep me feeling like, okay, I'm in an environment where I can share my talents and not worry about anything weird or scary happening to me because I've got someone on my side protecting me. What's so great about that, by the way, thank you for sharing that. And what's so awesome is that that, that protective, you know, familial dynamic is taking place at the same time. You're all trying to win. Like you're all trying to This isn't a variety show where you're just like, <laughs> I mean, yes. you're trying to win a, a competition where the stakes are increasingly so high. high week I to mean, week. And here this is happening on the other side. I, I think that's, yeah. that's pretty cool. So they, there really was this like sense of only we know what each other are going through. There's oh. no one else that gets it. No one else understands how hard this is and how weird it is. And to be instantly famous overnight is really crazy um, in so many ways, but to have them this like bond with these people that are completely different than you, that you would maybe not be friends with outside of the show that are now like your family members. And people always ask if we stay in touch and we do, we, we, we text, we talk, we not as much as we'd want to, but we do, we do keep in touch because they are, they were like family members. And, and even though we were trying to win and beat them out and, ah, uh, you know, we genuinely, loved each other and, and thought of each other as very close friends. So that's something people think, but you're competing against each other. It's like, it, it didn't feel that way. It just felt like we were competing to be the best that we could be. Not that we yeah. were trying to beat anyone else out. Yeah. P competing against one another, uh, against yourself for, yeah. for self-improvement, for being yes. able to look back 
week to week or month to month and say, look, look where I've come as a result of good competition. Cause that's what good yep. competition does. No matter what the competition is, is it forces you to be. A, you a all rise better. together. Yeah, yeah that's cool. So if you were 17 again, would you do it all over again? Oh my goodness. I've got a little friend here coming to join me. Hi well, friend. Hello there. Hi. Hi mom's almost done. If I was 17 again, would I, I would, I would do it again, but I don't know that I would do it as a 17-year-old. Say hi, hi, welcome to the podcast. What's your name? Mom. What's your um, name? Is your name Mom? No. Hi, Mom. Um, Benson. Benson, how old are so, you? Six. Um, could I um, know that like mac and cheese could we go get it? Mom. Absolutely. Yeah, we can make mac and cheese for lunch today. Yep. Okay, I will um, make it for you. Is it? It's up in the noodle. I We're not it. editing Please any edit. of this out. Please this is all that. make this <laughs> is all making the podcast. Benson, <laughs> thank you. Where the noodles are in the pantry in the big basket on the second shelf, and I will get it for you. Is it the which went mac and cheese was it? Um the space jam. Oh space jam mm, space mac jam. and cheese. Uh, absolutely. We're for done sure and done, buddy. One hundred percent. Okay. There we go. This segment of Right Where You Are brought to you by Space Jam <laughs> Mac and Cheese. Space Jam Craft Mac and Cheese. <laughs> oh, that's all making a fun. Slogan like, "Have you smiled today?" or something like that. Yeah, oh. that kid. My my children can live on mac and cheese and chocolate milk. Mm. In fact, he this morning he's like, "The if if drinks were rated in the top ten, for sure chocolate milk would be there." And I'm like, he's like, if the world rated the top 10 drinks, he's like, top 10 would for sure make the list. No, Absolutely. For sure. Yeah. Very top, top 10 drinks, chocolate milk. Absolutely. Be on the list. Yep. Um, anyway, welcome to my life as a mother. I love it. I, we're, gonna, we're just going to leave all this in. Maybe we'll include the video. I don't normally include the video. <laughs> but maybe we'll include shirtless Benson. Makes shirtless an Benson and makeup free mom. And I love what? it. This is real life. This, this is, what is it real is. life. Okay, I've got to take just a second to tell you about Buzzsprout. They are our podcast hosting partner. Uh, I have looked at every possible option out there. Trust me. And Buzzsprout is the one. And right now, if you follow the link in the show notes, you will let Buzzsprout know that you came from right where you are. As a thank you, you'll get a $20 Amazon gift card from them if you sign up for one of their super affordable paid plans. And of course, you'll be supporting our show uh, look, Buzzsprout does everything for you. They help get you listed on every podcast platform imaginable. You get a website included with little audio players that you can drop into social media or your existing websites and other places, all kinds of data on how many people are listening and where they live, even what country that they're in. And I'm just telling you that podcasting isn't nearly as hard as you think it is when you have the right kinds of partners and Buzzsprout is exactly that kind of partner. So go head over to Buzzsprout, follow the link in the show notes and see what podcasting is all about with Buzzsprout. So you say goodbye to Idol. 
um, the friendships remain intact. Yes. And you move on into adulthood. What, what in the world in 90 seconds or less, what have you been doing over the last 20 years? <laughs> <laughs> so um, People Magazine actually did an uh, article about this, a, a whole book. It's called, Where Are They Now? Mm. Because life begins and ends with American Idol. So what could you possibly be doing? Nothing. This show? Nothing. So I did an hour and a half long interview with People Magazine. This came out maybe like eight years ago now or something. And, and I talked all about, I've, I recorded an album. I was in Nashville. I had a number one single on the independent charts, nothing like the summer. I wrote a book staying in tune. Um, I started touring with Time Out for Girls. I've spoken at hundreds and probably even close to thousands of youth conferences, firesides, girls camps. I mean, all over the country, United States, Canada, um, I had the opportunity to be in a couple movies, cameos and a couple movies. And then at the very end of the interview, I said, Oh, and I am a wife and a mother. I have, I, I have four boys now. Um, and, um, I got married, you know, when I was 20, so a, a baby and, and so they print off, like everyone got this one page spread of everything they've been up to and everything they're doing. And I look at mine and it's not a page, it's a corner. I got a corner of a page. And at the very bottom, it said, Carmen Ras, like, what has she been up to with like a little arrow? Boop, like, look down here. There's one more person we didn't talk about. She's at the bottom, she's at the corner. And it said, married to Brad Herbert, who at the time was um, son of Utah Governor Gary Herbert. And they are, and they have two children. That was all. That was all they wrote after that hour. Like, look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. And I've been on two nationwide tours and all these things. And they, and then it said a quote, like, I look back at Idol with nothing but happy memories and a grateful heart. And at first I was so bugged. I'm all, that is all you put? Like all these accomplishments that really said, I made it, I've arrived. And then I thought about it and I thought, you know what, honestly, of everything that I've done or accomplished, like being a wife and a mother and getting mac and cheese for my half naked boy in the middle of the day. <laughs> Honestly, that is what does bring me the most joy and happiness and what I am most proud of. And so I would say that is the biggest change physically, mentally, emotionally, career wise is becoming a wife and mom and having these little boys take over my world. Yeah. That's uh- I didn't know where you were going to go with that, but in my head, I was answering the question like 10 words ahead of you. Like, please tell us that in the end, you realize the great <laughs> lesson is that none of that mattered. And no, of course, of course, sure. that's where you went. Of course, that's where you went. And, and for I, sure. yeah. And, and again, knowing you, um, you know, a bit personally through the years, just, I can, I can just see how true that is. We had, um, and we'll talk about this in a minute, but we've had some zoom calls in the past where we've been batting ideas back and forth. And yeah, many of those, many, all of those have been interrupted by a, a puppy or a human puppy or a a phone ringing or a, um, an oven timer or whatever it might be. And, um, and you always just balance it so well with your, with your eye on what matters most. The only thing I can think of that might be more important than your handsome husband or your children, of course, would be if you could write, I don't know, let's just say a musical based on a beloved 15-year-old New York Times selling novel. Um, I'll just throw out there, Christmas Jars is an option. Uh, I got to know why, because we've talked about this for years now. Yep. 
Yep. Um, what is your short answer for why you think Christmas jars could be a great musical? Because I know the long answer and I know my own answer, but for someone who's just hearing for the first time that this is actually something that has been in the works, that actual music has been written. Yes. What do you, what do you tell someone who says, well, what do we need a musical about Christmas? Oh my gosh, because it is completely about looking beyond yourself. The, the magic of the book, The Christmas Jars, the musical, The Christmas Jars, which, by the way, is just going to be a smashing stage success someday. So um, someday we're going to do that, Jason. We are going to do it. We're going to make it happen. Um, I love that idea. So I love the idea of their little things like change. I'm holding up dimes, pennies that are all over my house all the time. The tiniest things can change someone's life and make such a big difference. And it all comes down to giving love, letting someone know that they are noticed, that they are not alone in this world, that someone cares about them. And the amounts may not be life-changing, like two or $300. Like that's a significant amount and change to give someone, but but it's not it's not about the change. It's about being noticed by other people. Um, and ultimately when we notice them, then they feel noticed by their father in heaven. If we can remind people that that they are loved and cared about and needed and wanted and that they are being looked after. I just don't think there's any more beautiful feeling in the world to know that someone notices you and loves you and, and cares about your situation and, and that message of hope in dire circumstances and, and the let's not keep this for us. Let's give this away. And, and then watching someone's joy and, and the surprise and, and, and the, oh my goodness, this came at the exact right time. Someone cares about me. Ugh, it like gives me chills every time. And and I, I love the idea behind it. I love the real life movement behind it that people actually started giving away their own real life Christmas jars um, after reading the book and, and, and about reading about the characters. And then of course the beautiful movie that came out, BYU TV did, did such a great job with the Christmas jars movie. Um, there's just, it, it's a story that is timeless. Like it doesn't go away. It doesn't age. Like if anything, the message of that is more relevant now than ever. And that's all the time we have folks. <laughs> that was, that was lovely. You articulated that better than I ever could. It's, um, yeah, it's and you know if we really want it to to be as timeless as as I as we think it can be, then then at some point it just has to make its way to to the stage. There's just something about um, and and you know maybe people listening have seen you know other Christmas shows. Maybe they've seen Forgotten Carols by our good friend Michael McLean, which has just been such a, an important part of the holidays for. Yeah. I don't know, hundreds of thousands, millions of people through 20 plus years. Yes. Um, there is an audience out there, I believe, that that would support the musical. And I'm going to put you on the spot. Are you ready? Totally. You I'm know ready. what I'm going to do, right? Okay. I, I want 30 seconds of any of the songs that you have written. And I bet I know oh. which one you're going to pick. Just give me, just give us like a dozen bars of... Um, the song of your choice. And we can actually do this because, you know, we own the copyright too. We don't have to pay anybody. Yep, we sure do. Okay, hold on. I'm actually going to pull up some lyrics here. I I remember specifically 
the first time I, I thought of this idea and it was shortly after I had met you and then you were so kind and you sent me um, the book and I remember reading it and being like, oh, this is such an awesome book. And then I remember I was in my bathroom getting ready and um, like just thinking about that was such a good book. That was so impactful. That was just awesome. And then thinking, wow, it would be for me, everything comes back to music. And um, I thought, oh, I bet like if I was help, what song would I sing about this? And if I was this, what song would I sing? I just started like just singing bars and pretending. And then like this idea hit me like, oh my gosh, this could totally be a musical. This could totally be a musical. Like there's, there's, it's, it's one thing to read about a story or to watch a story on TV, but, but to experience something live and feel like the energy from the actors and the music and the audience reacting to it, there's nothing like it. So that's when I, yeah, I, I kind of called you years when I was two kids old, I'm four kids old now when I was two oh. kids old and said, okay. I really want to do to turn this into a stage play and into a musical and and sing about about this incredible story. And I and I was lucky enough that you weren't like, ha ha, well, that's funny. Like, cool. Who are you gonna get to do that? And I'm like, and I wanna do it. <laughs> I remember this conversation very, very well. And I'm going to be the writer. Um, I've written so tons of songs. I've never written a musical, but I'm gonna write it. And instead of being like, okay, well, maybe let's talk about, maybe let's find other people. You immediately just were like, okay, like you believed it, you believed in me and in my talents as, as a writer and in bringing your story to life. And, um, I don't know if I've ever told you how much that meant to me that it was not, it was not ever like, I don't think you could do this. It was, I believe in you to the point where if other people say no, then we'll find someone who takes us as a team and believes in you as much as I do. That meant so much to me that you, that you thought that. Um, all right. Well, thank you. So there's a song I wrote. I bet it's different from the one that you thought. Um, it's, it's a song that hope sings when she's like on the verge of um, breaking through her story she just knows this is going to be like big time huge story um the christmas jars and she's been working at this little newspaper um what is it called newspaper firm newspaper what is the right word the right word for newspaper the newspaper paper (laughs) the newspaper company Also not editing this out. Oh. I am a, you guys, I'm it's a, a really newspaper. good writer. She, she, yeah. She works at a, yeah. She works at a newspaper. It's just, okay. Just a paper. A okay. It's a paper paper. It's, it's a newspaper paper. <laughs> and, That's the and one. She, and she, but she just knows someday she's going to leave the small town and she's going to, and she's going to make the big time. Okay. So hold on. I got to Now I got to Now I'm put on the spot and I'm a little bit nervous. Say something else while I make sure I have the words right. The girl, the way what's my name? Ready to work? Get my head down low, my hopes held high. So this feels like a newsies kind of a song. I remember we talked about that. Yes. Right. Yep. Um, 
Everyone listening probably has seen Newsies, either the film or on stage. Um, and I, there probably aren't many people listening that aren't at least somewhat familiar with the book. So you can sort of imagine um, where Hope is in her life, her career. She is, um, you don't fully understand this probably till later, just how blinded she kind of is by by her ambition to to sort of make a name for herself in the industry and to fulfill yep. promises to her mother who's passed away. And, and that leads us to. Okay. Good filler. Okay. Good filler. I got it now. Um, okay. Hold on. Um, okay. My mama told me to reach for the stars. I got a real bright one in mind. One day I'll say goodbye to this town and say hello to the New York times. Me. Oh my. Look at me, I'm climbing that ladder like a money tree, one page at a time. I'm gonna get mine, just you wait and see. Oh, I won't stop, I'm making my way to the top. From memory, did you just pull that out like that? Yep. Oh my heavens, you haven't, I haven't heard you sing that in at least a year. Oh, that was gorgeous. See, see, people, people, people of right where you are. Do you not see how beautifully that would translate to the stage? Oh, we, we're gonna make it happen. We're gonna make, we're gonna make it. We're happen. gonna make it happen. And we are. And there's and and then the the last the last song. You probably thought I was gonna do another story to be told. Did you yeah. think I was maybe gonna yeah. do that one? That's yeah. That's the number. Yep. That gets there's me. another story to be told. A beautiful beginning will unfold. And it's just about like, no matter what happens in life, this is not the end. Um, Like the big finale, like it's not the end. And, and whatever your story is too, it's, it's not the end. There's another story to be told. There's another, another beautiful beginning every day. And that um, is the song people will sing in their car on their way home. They'll cover it little teenage singer songwriter music youtuber yep. people one voice children's choir is gonna do it they will all do it they will all they will yeah all such do a beautiful it and number. we will make it happen yep so i guess um in between um taking my kids to the pool and stuff i've yeah written a bunch of these songs for christmas jars and i'm excited for the day that they can be heard and listened to and sung and celebrated yeah, we're gonna we're gonna finish putting the team together to make that happen. And um, we've talked before about how um, good things come to those who work and those who wait. And yeah, um, so we'll we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. Um, and speaking of getting there, we're at the end, which means we have two more questions. And okay. um, as you know. Every guest gets the same two questions at the end of our interview. The first is about the name of the podcast. It is, of course, right where you are, W-R-I-G-H-T, which yep. came as a result of a long family council about what to call this thing and suggestions from the interwebs. And ultimately, I love it. it was my dear daughter, JD, who you know, my second oldest. Love her too. Yes. Who said, this, this needs to be right where you are. So I, I know what it means to me and many of my listeners, I think, have decided what it means to them, but we don't yet know what it means to Carmen Herbert. So what does right where you are mean to you? Right where you are. Well, ideally, it would be to be happy and content right where I am. Um, I feel like a lot of times I'm always looking for the next, the next, the next. Ah, oh, when are my boys going to be old enough to 
make their own darn mac and cheese. And when, when are they going to be able to do this? And when am I going to be able to do something? And, and I feel like, um, that's been a struggle for me throughout my life. I'm, I'm always looking forward, looking forward and visualizing and imagining something else. And, and, um, instead of being content and happy, right where, where I am. And, um, and you told me at the beginning of this, you said, there's going to come a time when your kids will be older and you're going to, you're going to just tears will stream down your face as you remember them jumping on your bed, asking you to make them lunch and your dog barking and kids coming in and out of the house to play with them during the day. And I know that's true. And so I am, I think still in pursuit of that, um, the ideal happiness of being content right where I am. And I can't say right now that I, I know I should be, and, and I, there's no reason not to be perfectly happy and, and not saying that I'm not grateful and love the life I have. Um, but I, I, I want to be able to be at peace more being right where I am and not always wondering I guess if what I'm doing is the right thing and it's not a being unhappy with where I am. It's, it's a worry that I'm not where I'm supposed to be, hmm. that I'm, I'm uh, heavenly father has other things or other plans, or I'm not living up to my potential or I'm not being a better mother. It's, I guess, a fear that I'm, I'm not doing the right things. And so um, that's actually within the last few years has been a struggle for me and something that I'm still trying to figure out if I'm right where I should be. Mm. I love that honesty and, and transparency of that answer. That's um, not exactly the answer I might've predicted, but it's exactly the one that we needed. So, so thank you for that. Um, Thank you for, for being willing to, to share that kind of honesty. So years from now, many, 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 many years from now, long after this interview is a, uh, a distant memory for people after uh, Christmas Yards, the musical has won 17 Smashing Tony success and, and dethroned Hamilton or whatever it is. <laughs> yes. Um, if you just had totally to pick possible. the, it t- not possible, it is <laughs> going to happen. Um, what's, what's your one thing? I like to think that we all have a one thing that we want people to remember about us, our lives, our journeys, our careers, what is Carmen Herbert's one thing? My one thing. Um, I was asked this question for Salt Lake Magazine right after American Idol. And um, as a little teenager, they said, what do you want people to remember about you? And I said, I hope that people remember that she was a good mother to her children and it's interesting that I I was not thinking about getting married. I was not dating anyone at the time. I was so young. But that still, to me, um, that's what I've always wanted. I've always wanted to be the type of person and mother that my boys look back on and think, oh, our childhood was just magic. And, and that I lived what I believed. I want people to know um, that I always, that I knew what was right and true. And I tried to live that way um, that I was authentic and real, but that I also um, 
had conviction about something. And for me, my greatest conviction is my faith in my Savior, Jesus Christ. And I want people to know that that's something that was the most important thing to me. And all the other stuff and and fluff, as you said, is doesn't really matter. And that if people said, what was the most important thing to her? They'd say, oh, her faith and family. Oh. And on that note, you ought to go make some mac and cheese for your half-naked <laughs> boy. Thank go, you. I'll go make that that Space Jam mac and cheese. For there that. you go. My, my little um, heart. Well, th- thank you for being a um, a great mom. Um, I'm sure a great wife. I've not had the pleasure of spending much time with your husband, I, but I, of course, have heard nothing but raise from people who have. So um, kudos for you. And um, I will certainly remember that and probably many other things about you many, many years from now that, that your faith um, comes first. And if you... If you have a brand, and we all do, uh, yours would be an unwavering love of Christ, which which impacts, influences everything else you do, all the way down to, as silly as it sounds, making mac and cheese for a kid who needs his mom. So, so go be a mom. You're a gem. Thank you so much Thank for being you. on Right Where You Are. Let's stay in touch. Let's do it. Thank you for joining us on Right Where You Are. For more information about Jason and his projects, visit him online at jasonfright.com or on social media at facebook.com slash jfwbooks or on Instagram at Jason F. Wright. And be sure to subscribe to Right Where You Are, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. This has been a production of Right Media Productions, copyright 2021 by Jason F. Wright. All rights reserved.